Hey there, my name is Kim, and this is my podcast, Power Up Your Performance. I believe that we have the power to rewrite our stories, change the trajectory of our lives, pour love into the world, conquer monumental challenges, and that movement can be a catalyst for change. Let's grow together. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. My name is Kim Peek, and I am so happy you're here with me today. We are into that time of year when people start turning their thoughts to gratitude. When I first heard about the powerful effects of gratitude, I thought it seemed too simple. How in the world could gratitude create physical changes in the body? How does gratitude improve heart health, reduce stress, and physically change the brain? It seems too good to be true, right? There's neuroscientists who have spent their whole life, their entire careers, studying these questions. And since I'm not a neuroscientist, I'm going to give you the quick version. Grateful people are more likely to engage with other positive behaviors that affect health, such as exercise, nutrition, sleep, and connection with others. In addition, the act of being grateful reduces stress because it places the focus on the good things in life, and we are more likely to let the smaller negative things that happen throughout our days just roll right off of us. According to a UC Davis psychology professor named Robert Edmonds, he's also the author of Thanks, How the New Science of Gratitude Can Make You Happier, gratitude increases happiness by 25%. Gratitude costs us nothing except for effort. So it should seem like a no-brainer, right? Considering the many benefits, like better sleep, more resilience, improved relationships, increased productivity in the workplace, a stronger immune system, and fewer aches and pains. Now that sounds like something that if there were a magic pill, we would all be beating down our doctor's door asking for that magic pill. And all it takes is gratitude. So like brushing your teeth, or whether you always put on your right shoe or your left shoe first, gratitude is a habit, and habits are created through repetitive behaviors. So I think that this is a great challenge for you for the coming week. So here you go. Set an alarm on your phone to go off five different times each day, and when that alarm goes off, take 30 seconds to assess your situation. What are you doing? How do you feel? What are you grateful for in the moment? Write those things down and just start becoming more aware of your environment and the opportunities you have to be grateful for just the tiny things. It doesn't even have to be something big, but being grateful for the little things throughout the day. And then that trigger, the alarm going off, reminds you to pause several times a day And that's just going to help you build that gratitude habit so that we can get all of those amazing benefits and not have to go ask our doctor for the pill that wipes out all of our aches and pains and sorrow. Anyway, now let me introduce you to today's guest. Amanda Jane says, the state of your body is the state of your life. She helps actors, artists, and dancers reach their full potential in their craft by treating them as the athletes that they are. She's a certified strength and conditioning specialist, certified personal trainer, 
mindset coach, and group fitness instructor living in Brooklyn, New York. I hope you enjoy this interview with Amanda Jane. Welcome to the show, Amanda. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hey, Kim. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you have a very busy life and you're living in New York City at an interesting time. Mm -hmm. What is it like to be an actor and also just somebody in the wellness space? What was it like during the pandemic? And then what's it like coming out of the pandemic? Oh, yes. New York. A lot of people have been saying New York City is dead, but I feel like New York has come alive in the pandemic in the sense that New York City is such a harsh place to live in. And so the idea of New York is that we always have our head down. We're always working hard. We're always hitting the pavement and grinding. And I feel like the pandemic has almost allowed this breath of fresh air where people are looking up and helping each other and communities are coming together. And I find that in the pandemic, I've actually been able to find and discover community in a way that I never have before. And that brings me to, you asked, how is it as an actor? I think we all have are sad because we're not able to practice our craft, but the pandemic has allowed us to, more opportunities to perform. So I've been a part of several like Zoom groups and park readings and stuff like that. And on top of that, I know you are a an avid runner. I am a runner as well. I don't know if you don't do that about me, but I am also an avid runner and I belong to a run group here in Brooklyn that I don't think I ever would have discovered if it hadn't been for the pandemic. So I think that New York in the pandemic kind of allowed for people to break out of their shell a little bit, to discover new things, to open their mind, expand their mind a little bit to things that they didn't think were possible. We had this idea of what performing looks like, and now we're able to perform different shows with each other over Zoom. We're able to create a more sense of a community where New York, I think for me over the past, 11 years that I've lived here, I've honestly felt very isolated living in New York. It can be very isolating. It can be very harsh. New York in the pandemic really just came through for me anyway. Of course, uh, lots of people are suffering, but the sense of community that has come out of the pandemic in New York has been really, really incredible. So much good stuff in that, <laughs> in that little bit there. But I agree with you. I was there two weeks ago and obviously I'm not a New Yorker. But mm -hmm. I really felt like people were so much more friendly. I guess that comes from my perspective and my biases about what I think about New York. But I think of New York as being this scary city where people don't want to talk. And if you look at them wrong, they get grumpy. And I, that was not my experience at all this time. I just felt like people were really super nice. And, you know, they smiled on the subway or when you're walking mm -hmm. down the street. And that just has never been my experience. So I agree with you. I think it, yeah. it changed people a little bit. I think so. I think so. Community, I think we're realizing, everyone is realizing how important community is. And I think for me anyway, the community has really come to life, especially with online being available, which I guess that's not exclusive to New York, but even more than the online theater community, the running community has been a huge aspect of my life since 
the pandemic. And I'm just so grateful for my running group and for my family there. And I definitely would not have found them. It wasn't for the pandemic because a trickle of events happened with, and it kind of like hoisted up running and biking and gyms were closed and all that stuff. So people had to find other ways to exercise and running and biking that just really shone through for me and they're still thriving. And so, yeah, it's been great. Well, next time I go, I'm going to have to look up your running group because that sounds Mm -hmm. like an awesome group. Yeah. Goldfinger Track Club. I'm just a member, but Jerry Francois is the owner. Very fun. Mm -hmm. It's always great. Anytime you can get people to get together and get outside and, you know, just the community aspect is so good of it. Good about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you talk a lot about mindfulness and how that's connected to your physical and mental health. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you think mindfulness is so important when it comes to our health? Yes. So if we're not in the right state of mind, then essentially we can't really achieve any of our goals. So as we know, and as I've heard you speak about before, running and exercise can do so much for our mental health and well-being and can be endorphins. We feel good. And again, if we're doing it with a community, we feel connected to people. But on top of what exercise physiologically can do for us, mindfulness and mental health is so important just with any goals that we want to achieve. And that is really the core and the foundation of how I work with my clients. So a lot of times people fail to achieve their goals or struggle to achieve their goals because of what's going on in here. So a lot of people, I think, they have these limited beliefs coming going on in their head where they identify with a certain way of being. So they hold themselves to an identity, right? I maybe I was never a runner. It's something that I hear people say, I'm not a runner. I can't run. I don't like vegetables. I am just never a person who was athletic. I was always picked last for kickball or uh, diabetes runs in my family, all of these things that we hold onto tight, because essentially, we've been collecting data that supports this identity, our whole life, we've been collecting data that supports it. So if our mind is telling us this is how we are, and this is how we're supposed to be, then that prevents us from taking action, which then prevents us from reaching our goals. So if we can start from in here and start to change the identity that we have around ourselves and around our goals, then we can achieve really anything. And and again, I am so excited to be on your podcast because I know that that's so much of what you believe too, is that anything is possible. And I very much believe that as well. And, and the idea of anything is possible really starts from in here. So exercise routines, exercise regimens, all of that, it's great. But if you don't believe that you can do it, then you're never going to take the action to get there. So a lot of the work that I do with my clients is really just debunking and breaking down our belief systems and our identity and and what essentially our how our identity is holding us back from achieving our goals. So if we start to say, okay, hey, this is my goal. I want to run a marathon, right? What does somebody do? What does somebody who runs a marathon do on a regular basis? What that is their identity. And then what habits 
consists of their day-to-day life and their routine. And then how can we adapt those habits? So they're training, right? They're training every day. They have a exercise regimen. They have cross training that they do. Maybe they see a physical therapist. They have a certain nutrition routine, right? So adapting those habits and starting to create that identity, then we can become a runner who runs a marathon. And I myself ran the New York City Marathon in 2019. And as you know, I come from a musical theater background. So I was always that person who said, I'm not a runner. I hate running. And even as I became more in the fitness realm and got my personal training certification and was even a trainer, I never promoted running, never thought running was necessary, never thought running really had any worth. And it just took me feeling stagnant in my acting career to want to do something that I didn't think was possible. So I chose something that I absolutely hated and decided to do it. So I like to use that example because oftentimes as trainers, clients might seem look at me and say, Oh, Amanda, is she's so athletic. She has everything. She is so fit and healthy. But I came from somewhere too, right? I wasn't always like this. And my whole backstory, I come from injury as well from musical theater. And that's how I got into personal training. But I run the the marathon to prove to myself and also to show others that really anything is possible, even when we don't think it is. And really what it starts with is that mindset shift, right? Of going from I'm not a runner to I am a runner. Are you running? You are a runner. So that was very long winded, but mindfulness and being aware of the self talk that we use is key to achieving our goals, not only in health and wellness, but in our careers. For all my actress, singer, dancer friends out there, if we don't believe that we're able to be successful in our career, then we're not going to be. And it really resonates with everything. I always say that fitness is practice for everyday life. So if we can achieve something like running a marathon or doing a pull-up or doing a group fitness class that really intimidates you and you can get through it, then you can do anything. So it shows us that anything is possible. Oh, again, you said so many great things. I'm going to have so much fun breaking this up into little clips to share on social media. But I love just the whole mindset piece is so huge with me, as you know, but I just love the idea of that fitness gives us a way to believe that anything is possible. And people who have listened to this podcast for a while probably know that that is also how I got into running was I hated it, but all my friends Mm -hmm. were doing it. And then Mm -hmm. little by little, you start to see that success. You're like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And it's addicting. Yes. Before you know it, you take on the identity of that. And like, but you had to start somewhere. And I think when you're at the beginning, it feels impossible to get to that place. But I also always say that every master was once a disaster. So no person is just comes out of the womb being a marathon runner. No person is born being really good at something. So Every master was once a disaster. It takes practice. It takes consistency. It takes putting in the effort, putting in the dedication. So that's another thing is everyone always asks me, Amanda, how do you stay so motivated? I'm not always motivated. And that's you know another mindset trick that we have to identify is motivation is 
it's not sustainable. It's a feeling just like happiness and sadness. It comes and it goes. And so putting in the work and creating habits and systems and routines around these goals that we have so that eventually it's as easy as brushing our teeth. You and I both don't even think about running anymore. But for somebody who's never ran in their life, running is going to seem super scary and out of their comfort zone. So it's just taking that first step, showing up. That's really the key and understanding that right now it feels hard, but easy is earned. And at first it's going to feel hard in the beginning, but we'll get there eventually. Another thing I like just about this whole topic is that it's not just about how you look, it's how you feel and how all of that ties back to your confidence. And it changes you. I always say it changes you. Running changes you. Training for a marathon changes you in ways that you're never going to expect. And a lot of that, I think, just comes from slowly realizing that you can do a little bit more today than you couldn't do yesterday. What do you think about that? Oh, I love, love, love that. Because I think so much of the fitness industry is unfortunately all about appearance. Just the world in general is all about appearance. Like we think that running equals weight loss. Like, oh, you want to run? That means you must want to lose weight. Oh, you want to exercise at any capacity? That means you must be trying to look a certain way. And the work that I do with, I run for fun. So running is just something I do for fun. But in terms of the clients that I work with, which are primarily actors, singers, dancers, there's so much pressure to look a certain way. And we feel like we're not ready for the stage or ready for film and television if we don't look a certain way. And yeah, I mean, there's so many more benefits to exercise aside from just looks, like just the health and and longevity and wellness of how we're able to show up in the world mentally, right? When we're taking care of ourselves first, we're better able to take care of our family and friends. We're better able to show up in our career. And aside from that, a lot of the the work that I do with actors, singers, and dancers is helping with injury prevention so that they can sustain and maintain their career. And, And I think that oftentimes we don't think of exercise as something that's going to help us function better. And I know that holistic approach is very much up your alley, very much up mine as well. Exercise, slamming our bodies into the ground, just like make, if every exercise feels like death, that's a sign that we're not doing something right. Like we should be moving in a way that is going to help us to function better, help us to live better. And that is encompassing for everything. But especially in the pandemic, a lot of us are sitting at our computers. We're hunched over a desk. We're sitting down. Our our hips are tight. Our glutes are weak. Our back muscles are lengthened. Our chest muscles are tight and we're hunched over and our core is weak. All of these things, that's kind of more for the general population. But everyone could be benefiting from exercise. Movement is medicine in the sense of you know our mind, but also motion is lotion. So I think oftentimes people stray away from movement because they are thinking of it as being, oh, I have to exercise to look a certain way. When in reality, there's so many more benefits, including corrective exercise in the sense of preventing injury. 
again, very long winded, but yeah, the benefits of exercise just far outweigh what we, a lot of us think it's for, which a lot of us think about it as being a means to look a certain way when there's so much more that is there. (laughs) Yeah. Now you, if I understand right, got into this, we were talking about longevity of a career. You got Mm -hmm. into the fitness side because you had an injury, right? A back injury. Can you tell us about how you got into this and how that back injury played a role? Yeah. So I was dancing in show my college and I essentially very long, but it wasn't just that one show that gave me that injury. I think it was years of not strengthening my core, years of just not having good movement function, which then that one dance performance, it kind of like illuminated where all my weaknesses were. And then I eventually realized that I had multiple slip discs in my back, which led to sciatica. And then I wasn't able to do basic human movement functions like sitting down to standing up. I couldn't do that. I couldn't sit in a car without just like excruciating, debilitating pain. I had sciatica for many years. And then I eventually decided to do something about it because I couldn't function properly, let alone audition for shows and performance shows. So I got a physical therapist, I got a personal trainer, basically, I started to see the benefits of strength training and corrective exercise, which then my back was better. And that's when I was inspired to get my personal training certification. And from there, it kind of just kept spiraling. You know how they say the more you know, what's that saying? Like the more, you know, the more, you know, you don't know. So I just kept stir different certifications and continuing my education and really realizing the benefits of, again, I've said it so many times, but corrective exercise and mobility and just getting back to the root of the problem. And I think in the fitness industry in general today, again, we're very much geared towards appearances But my goal as a trainer is to go to the root of the problem and prevent injury before we even have any injuries where we can assess our natural body imbalances. Like I said, even if you're not somebody who suffers from injury, if you're sitting at a desk all day, if you're crossing your legs, if you're sitting in your hip while you're waiting for the bus, if you're carrying a bag on one side, if you're holding laundry, if you're right-handed dominant, if you're dancing in a show and you're doing repetitive choreography, if you're running and you're doing repetitive movement, repetitive movement over time leads to natural body imbalances, which leads to our body overcompensating, which then leads to injury. So my goal is to kind of get ahead of the game and address these natural body imbalances and strengthen our weak areas and inhibit our overactive muscles so that they don't continue to take over and just get us to a place where we're able to, if you're just part of general population, and you just want to feel good, just feeling good. If you're a dancer, actor, singer, being able to perform optimally, and again, have a longevity in your career, if you're a runner, being able to run optimally. And again, distance running, especially is very repetitive. I know a lot of people experience injuries there as well. So getting to the root of the problem, which is you stems from natural body imbalances and just strengthening and moving and getting our body to function the way it should be. 
Yeah. So what do you say to the person who's like, okay, this all sounds good. I understand I need to do this, but exercising or corrective exercise or planning my food out, all of this stuff is so time consuming. How do you Mm. encourage people to either get started or make time? Yeah. So I like to look at corrective exercise and mobility and all of that stuff, self-myofascial relief, all of that, I like to use the metaphor of flossing. So I relate exercise a lot to our dental hygiene, but similar to flossing and in the extent that usually flossing is time consuming. Usually flossing hurts, doesn't feel good if we don't do it often, but it is necessary for the health of our teeth. If we don't floss, You'll go to the dentist and you'll probably get gingivitis. Your teeth might start not looking good. So it won't look, your teeth won't be healthy. And then they also won't look good either. So it's kind of similar in the extent that in order to be optimally healthy, in order to like be at our optimal peak, right? We have to do some of those things. It is time consuming, which is why we have to, and it is intimidating, which is why I always recommend building habits, systems, and routines around it, not relying on motivation. Because if we relied on motivation, we would probably never foam roll or do our functional range conditioning and all of that stuff. We would probably never do any of that. So one of the things that I do with my clients is we take out our schedule and I always assign them homework assignments. So even if they're not working in person with me, they're doing things on their own always. We're trying to create good, healthy habits. We take out our schedule. We are holding ourselves high. We are holding ourselves accountable. So you wouldn't show up late to a business meeting. You wouldn't show up late to a podcast interview. You wouldn't just cancel on your best friend's wedding, right? So all of those things, we wouldn't do those things because we have respect for our job. We have respect for our family members. And so we want to start to create the same respect that we Um, have for others for ourselves. So we want to start to build trust within ourselves and show up for ourselves when we say we will. So I encourage my clients to, again, take out their calendars, put time block in their schedule of when they're going to work out, when they're going to do their corrective exercise, when they're going to do their mobility and stick to it so that we can start to build trust. And every single time we say we're going to do something and we don't, we're telling ourselves that, oh, it's okay to break trust right? So we want to start to build a foundation of trust within ourselves and show ourselves that we can show up and hold ourselves high in the same highness that we would again, hold our job. So again, all starts in the brain. So have that kind of mindset shift that we are as important. Our goals are as important as my job, as my best friend's baby shower, whatever else. I think the accountability piece is so huge too. You know, you go to the doctor and let's say you did, you hurt your back and you went to the doctor and maybe the doctor sent you to a physical therapist and you did, oh, one or two sessions. But then if there's nobody there telling you, okay, you need to go for 12 weeks or you need to go three times a week or whatever, that's when people fall off with accountability. It's the same thing where if you decide you're going to run a marathon and you're going to follow just a plan that you found on the internet, you might be successful, but you're probably not going to be as successful as if you hired a coach who you were 
actively communicating with. And I think that go, I mean, it's true for so many things. You can go get bad news from a doctor and they say, oh yeah, you need to start eating better and working out. And then you see your doc follow up with me in six months. Well, there's no accountability in there. And so what happens? Six months goes by and you're in the same exact place. What are some things that you find that you do as a trainer and a coach to build that accountability into people's routines so that we're building habits? But I think it's really important to have that person that you're being accountable to. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I will start by saying, obviously, hiring a coach, obviously hiring a trainer, that is a luxury. So for some people, they might be able to, just as you said, they might be able to be successful without that. It really all depends on how much skin is in the game. But there are plenty of ways to build accountability. And again, it is a luxury, but finances is one of the greatest forms of accountability. So if you're paying someone to help you, then the likelihood of you showing up is higher. If it feels a little bit more uncomfortable that you see this money coming out of your bank account, then you're probably going to show up and you're probably going to do the work because there's a little bit more skin in the game. But there are other ways to try to build accountability and, and to stay accountable if you can't hire a coach. A coach, obviously, it's their job. So they are going to be on top of you. For me, I have systems in place within my own coaching program where I can help my clients stay accountable. I give them homework assignments. I can see my personalized app, whether they've completed the homework assignments and we're in communication. I ask if they haven't completed it, I ask them, why haven't they? So paying somebody is helpful. If you can't pay someone right now, you can just at least tell somebody. So if somebody who is close to you knows that you have a goal that you want to reach, then telling them and saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. Do you either want to do it with me or this is important to me? Can you check in with me? And oftentimes if we tell someone, then we're more likely to do it because we're maybe embarrassed if we don't do it. So that's another way. See what other ways of accountability. And this brings me back to community. So community is one person keeping you accountable is great, but the community of a whole group of people who are your friends is even better. So that brings me back to my running group. If I don't show up for the Wednesday track sessions at 6.30 a.m., I'm definitely going to get a slew of messages from people saying, why weren't you at track this morning? Where were you? And plus there's some FOMO because they're all your friends. So I mean, even just the FOMO itself keeps me accountable. I'm like, I don't want to miss out on the group picture. <laughs> right? So, so those are some ways you can stay accountable. But building your own accountability, I think, is ultimately the best way to, to keep up with what you want to keep up with. And with that, we, again, like I said, easy is earned. So at first, it's going to feel hard. And it might feel like you have to think about it every time. But building habits and building systems and building routines is what's ultimately going to get you to not even have to rely on accountability. And there are little tips and tricks that you can use to do that. So if you are, let's say, trying to build a meditation practice, and you've never meditated before, I like to use the idea of boiling hot water as my time to meditate. So this is called habit pairing. If you ever read the book, uh, Atomic Habits, 
It's by James Clear. He talks a lot about habit pairing, but habit pairing is essentially when you put one habit next to another habit that you already have. So every morning you wake up and you boil hot water for tea or coffee, and you do that consistently without question every single morning. Then instead of just fiddling around on your phone while you're waiting for the water to boil or cleaning up or doing whatever else you do, you can literally just stand there, close your eyes and meditate. And then the timer is the water boiling and whistling at you. So that is a way to get into a meditation practice or, or if you're not interested in meditation, instead, if you are have no exercise routine and you have no idea how to start or what to do and you can't stay consistent, then you can do five push-ups while the water's boiling. Or you can do five squats while you're brushing your teeth. Or before you take a shower. What else? What are things what do people do every single day? It's I mean it's dependent on the person and what your current habits already are in place and what your goals are and kind of if they align. But habit pairing is a really good technique that I like to use for getting us going on keeping ourselves accountable. Yes, I agree. I have a daughter who is supposed to take a daily inhaler for her asthma. And we use that with every time you brush your teeth, take your inhaler. That's your morning routine. Yeah, exactly. It could be anything. Yeah. Well, I love all of this. I do want to go back to this Mm -hmm. identity thing we were talking about, because I think that that is important too. And again, if you have a coach, it's easy to start to learn what the behaviors are that you would need to be successful. And if you have a mentor, if you're going to school for something, it's easy to start to understand what those behaviors are to be the person who has that identity, right? How do you help somebody start to shift their mindset when maybe they haven't been exposed to the people who have the careers, who have the success that they want to have? How do you start working into those baby steps into that identity? Oh, that's a great question. I had never thought about it like that before, but that's a very real question. I mean, it really all happens when we get 1% better every day. So there are no wrong moves. There is no such thing as failure. There's just collecting data. I say that probably too much, but I like to look at failures as just a way of collecting data. Even if you try or do something in, in a way that is not aligned with the identity, it's just a way of us seeing, okay, this I tried this and this didn't work. And I think that that is very real in the fitness industry because there's so much misinformation out there and there's an overabundance of information about coconut oil is healthy. Never mind, it's not healthy. Wait, <laughs> yes, it is. If you eat it like this, you should be doing high intensity interval training. Oh, never mind, you're going to get adrenal fatigue. But wait, hold on, you should do it every once. In- so it's like it can be very confusing. And I get that. We think we should be doing certain things, or we have an idea of what that identity looks like, and it might actually be completely backwards. But I think if we hold on to perfectionism, 
then we're never going to improve at all. So perfectionism is just one of the greatest forms of procrastination. And I think that being perfect with what the identity looks like is just our another way of us procrastinating. And done is better than perfect. So even if you are confused and you don't know what to do and you've never done it before, try something. Try it for a week. Try it for a few weeks. Try it for a month. And if you are trying it and nothing's happening, then again, maybe invest in a coach because what a coach does is it shortens the time frame that we have to get things done. So you can do things on your own. And what that will do is when you do things on your own and you're not a professional, what you're doing is you're investing more of your time because it takes more of your time to collect more data to see what works and what doesn't work. And when you invest in a coach, you're investing more. Yes, you're investing your time, but you're investing more of your money so that you can have their experiences and their expertise so that you don't waste as much time. Again, no time is wasted, but it can expedite the process to hire a coach because they have dedicated their life to helping you. But yeah, done is better than perfect. So try it, try, do something, try it out, see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, at least now, you know, and it's, we're aiming towards 1% better every day. And it doesn't have to look exactly how we think it should look. But yeah, I think perfectionism is definitely something that holds a lot of people back from reaching their goals because they feel like they have to do things perfectly or it's not worth it. But in reality, done is better than perfect. Yes. I love that. Such a great answer to that question. I wasn't (laughs) sure where we were going to go with that, but I think it was a great, great answer. (laughs) Is there anything that you want to tell everybody that I did not ask you? Hmm. I think we covered a lot. Yeah, we did. We did cover a lot. And I think the main thing I want people to expand their minds on is that everyone should be exercising and it it shouldn't have to do with looks. And I, I know we already touched on that, but I think that's probably one of my biggest drivers home is that exercising is important for all of us, especially in these times. And we started this conversation off by talking about our mindset and our mental health and exercise is is important for every single person, regardless of if you're an athlete, if you're not an athlete, we all need to be exercising. And I think a very highly motivating factor for people is looks and is aesthetics. And that's okay. That's what gets you through the door. But find something that you love to do and find something that makes you feel good and stick to it. And and then you won't be exercising as much for aesthetics anymore, but you'll discover why you like it so much in other ways. That's it, I guess, really. (laughs) I love it. And how can people connect with you if they either just want to follow you for more tips or if they want to try to work with you? Yeah. So you can follow me at train with Amanda Jane on Instagram. My website is trainwithamandajane.com. And you can email me if you want at info at trainwithamandajane.com. And yeah, I primarily work with actors, singers, dancers, artists. That's kind of like my niche, but I'm open to chat if 
if someone is really passionate about corrective exercise and wants to learn more, I'm definitely open to chat and see if it's the right fit. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for joining me for season four of Power Up Your Performance. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and follow. Dream big and get out there and explore.